Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast, providing quick and innovative ways to make the absolute most out of your research time and creative ideas for sharing and displaying your family history. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Welcome to episode 39 of the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's great to be back at the microphone. If you are new to the podcast this week, I want to welcome you aboard and thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. And if you like what you hear, we invite you to subscribe for free through iTunes so that episodes will be downloaded automatically and you'll be sure not to miss a single one. And here's a tip because I know that some of you are new this week. Um, I can see some, some new folks adding on. Once you've subscribed to iTunes, be sure to go back to your new Genealogy Gem subscription listing that you created in your podcast directory and click that Get All button. Clicking the Subscribe button is only going to give you the most recent episode and, of course, the future shows. And I don't want you to miss the gems we've already covered. So by clicking Get All, all the previous episodes will download for you. And each show has a collection of different gems, all geared to helping you get the absolute most out of your research and your family history efforts. And of course, in addition to this podcast, we have the Genealogy Gems website for you at genealogygems.tv and all the show notes that accompany these episodes. Um, The show notes will give you an outline of what we've covered and website links and extra videos and photographs and so on. And in addition to the show notes at the website, you'll want to explore the Genealogy Gems videos area, the research resources page, the listeners page, which is devoted entirely to you, the listener, and shop for Gems gear and check out the research tools at the store. And you'll want to check out past issues of our free monthly Genealogy Gems newsletter, as well as sign up for it yourself. And finally, you'll find a link to the Genealogy Gems news blog where you can read up on genealogy current events. So there's just lots to do, and I'm just so glad that you're here and you're joining in on the fun. So let's jump in and get started. Well, first, this last week, we saw a sad anniversary, certainly sad for genealogists, the 87th anniversary of the fire that destroyed the 1890 census. It was late in the afternoon on January 10th of 1921 that a small fire broke out in the basement of the Commerce Building in Washington, D.C. And outside the protection of that building's fireproof vault were stacked the original population schedules for the 1890 census on rows of wood pine shelves. The 30-year-old volumes were dry and well-ventilated and were quickly engulfed in fire. With fire comes fire hoses, and water played the biggest part in the demise of the 1890 census. And attempts were made to salvage the damaged schedules, but with very little success, unfortunately. And most of it was disposed of in 1935. So today, record fragments from 10 states and the District of Columbia, less than 1% of the 1890 population schedules are all that are left of an enumeration that contained an estimated 62 million entries. Sad indeed. Well, what has survived of the population schedules today can be found in the National Archives microfilm publication M407, which is the 11th census of the United States, 1890, 
as well as a variety of websites. And if you would like to learn more about the 1890 census and which specific schedules are still available, you can visit the National Archives page dedicated to it, and I'll have a link for you to that in the show notes. And we have a new poll question at the Genealogy Gems News blog, along with some new blog entries. The question is, are you a member of your local area genealogical society? I'm curious about this because you hear a lot about declining memberships, and you have to admit it's getting easier and easier to get isolated with so much information online. So this should be pretty interesting. I hope when you stop by the blog, you will click yes or no and give us your vote on that question. Oh, and by the way, we did indeed hit my goal of 25 positive reviews in iTunes after all. It happened the first week of January. Somebody obviously was snowed in at the airport somewhere after the holidays, and I appreciate the heroic effort to get to 25. So thank you all very much again. And we've got a couple of emails, actually, so let's go to the mailbox. We have a couple of great emails today to um, go over. We've got one from Diana Larson, and she writes, Hello, Lisa. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas with your family. Thank you, Diana. I did. And now that things have quieted down a bit, I have I finally have a chance to catch up on listening to the podcast. She says, This morning I listened to episode 35, in which you discussed reading children's books to become acquainted with some more challenging subjects. I think this is a fantastic idea and wanted to add a recommendation. The American Girls Collection books are a great way for children and adults to learn about children living through different periods in American history. And she writes, there are several characters, each living during a different era. Kaya is a Native American living in 1764. Felicity and Elizabeth are colonists during the American Revolution. Josephina lives in New Mexico in 1824. There's Kirsten. She's a new immigrant to the U.S. from Sweden in 1854. Addie is a young girl escaping slavery with her mother in 1864. Samantha and Nellie are friends living around the turn of the century in 1904. Kit lives during the Great Depression, and Molly and Emily are growing up during World War II. She says, although the stories themselves are fictional, they are thoroughly researched, and each book concludes with a brief description containing factual information, photographs, and artwork about that particular time period. While I know that not all of the locations or time periods will apply to every family out there, these books are a great way to learn about what it's like to grow up during different periods through history. And in some cases, the stories could be very similar to some of our ancestors' experiences. She finishes with, I've read the books for Kirsten and Molly, and while I didn't learn anything genealogy-specific, I did learn more about what it might have been like for my family when they immigrated to the U.S. from Sweden during the late 1800s, as well as what it might have been like for my mother and aunt to grow up during the end of World War II. And I plan to share these books with my children someday in hopes that it might get them interested in family history. Just wanted to share in case some of your other listeners might be interested. Keep up the good work on the podcast. Sincerely, Diana Larson. Oh, Diana, I love the American Girl Collection. They became really popular when my daughters were young, and I remember even taking my kids to an American Girl tea party in a fashion show once. We were all 
dressed up. I think it was uh, the doll Samantha who was in uh, 1904. And the girls brought their dolls. And you're absolutely right. They do a terrific job bringing history to life. Um, the books are really well done. And they're really a terrific way to get introduced to a particular era. And even more importantly, to instill a love of history and heritage in children. So um, I'll have more information about the American Girl dolls that uh, Diana mentioned in the show notes. And thank you, Diana, for this great suggestion. Now here's an email from Kathy Paris. She says, Hi, Lisa. I have been enjoying your podcast and I've become a regular listener. I've had an iPod for over a year and I had heard about podcasts. I've been doing some family history research for seven years, so I looked for podcasts about genealogy and I downloaded a few. I listened to your podcast on using your iPod for genealogy and I was hooked. Lots of your gems were indeed new bits and pieces of information that have broadened my knowledge. I've started listening to your latest podcast, but also as time permits, I've been listening to your older podcast to incorporate your gems into my skill set. You have talked about YouTube, and I took the plunge and I uploaded the first two segments of a video that I did for my dad's 70th birthday. She says, thanks for sharing your knowledge, Kathy Paris. Well, thank you, Kathy, for taking the time to write. I took a few minutes out and I watched Kathy's videos about her father, Gil Merrill, who was born in 1913 in Franklin, New Hampshire, and they were wonderful. What I really liked about them is that her father narrates the video himself. You know, it's been several months since I created the nurse and training videos about my grandmother in nursing school in the 1930s, which I talked about in episode, I think it was 10. And after watching Kathy's videos about her dad, I am ready to get started on my next one. <laughs> so I encourage you to take a few minutes to watch Gil's story. Maybe you will be inspired to make a family history video too. And be sure and let us know about it. And finally, I have an email here from Deb Atchley. She says, good job. I really enjoyed the interview with Venice. The Lennon sisters were part of my childhood memories, and I even had the Lennon sisters paper dolls. The music was really nice, and I downloaded several of their songs from iTunes after listening to your podcast. I enjoyed their enthusiastic response to the genealogy topics of their family. Well, thanks to Deb and Kathy and Diana, all of you, for writing. Um, getting listener emails helps me prove to my family that I'm not just sitting here talking to myself. So if you want to write and help build my case that there are life forms out there listening, you can email me at genealogygemspodcast.com. And I'm actually planning several of the upcoming episodes now. So if you have a topic that you want to hear about, by all means, let me know and let me know what it is and we'll see what we can do. You know, uh, Tim over at the Genealogy Reviews Online blog recently blogged about the History Channel. And, you know, I was beginning to wonder if it was just me. Let me, let me read it to you because I thought it was terrific. Uh, this was on January 9th, and he says, The History's Channel Lack of History. He says, I was over at the Civil War Memory blog yesterday, and I found an interesting post titled, When Did the History Channel Stop Doing History? I was thinking the same thing. I'm always disappointed when I cruise by the channel. And he talks about the uh, the lineup. He checked out the uh, TV guide, I guess, for that evening's lineup. And they had Modern Marvel's Racetrack Tech and a show about aluminum and Lost Worlds, Kama Sutra, Monster Quest, Unidentified Flying Creatures. <laughs> and he wrote, I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of interesting history here. 
He says, I used to watch the History Channel all the time, but I rarely watch it now. Something's wrong there. Well, this got me to thinking about media alternatives, and the podcasting arena has a lot to offer in the area of history. Now, many of you have asked me about which podcasts I listen to. Well, history podcasts are really high on my list, and that brings us to our first gem, my top history podcast picks. Now, you can always get yourself into trouble when you try to do a uh, kind of a top list of any kind of pick, because I'm sure there are things that I don't listen to or I'm not aware of that you might be that you enjoy. But here are some, because you guys have been asking me what I listen to on my, on my iPod when I'm not doing genealogy gems, and uh, history podcasts are definitely a big favorite. So I went into iTunes and just kind of did a new search to see what else is out there and Oh my gosh, there are so many history podcasts of all different types. So I have done the work for you, and I have really taken the time to, to weed through and listen to them, check into the, the ones I listened to, some of the ones I hadn't heard yet, and also did some checking to see if you know they have websites that go with them and, and that kind of thing. So let me share with you what I found. And I'm just doing these in alphabetical order. I don't dare put them in numerical order. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody. But um, the first one is Binge Thinking History. And it's by Tony Cox. You gotta love it just for the title of the show. Now, Tony is a professed amateur armchair historian. And he described his interest in history as primarily derived from the Napoleonic idea that history is a myth agreed upon. Well, Tony has a wonderful radio voice, and I think you'll really enjoy listening to him. He started the podcast back in October of 2007 to some rave reviews, and hopefully he will continue that into the future. Now, I'll have links to his podcast as well as all the other ones that I mentioned for you. I'll have a link to the iTunes location for the podcast as well as a link to their website if they have one that accompanies the podcast. And I also want to preface before I go on that I have not listened to every episode of every one of these podcasts, but to the best of my knowledge, um, they're of, of a good quality and hopefully a reasonable content, um, but you kind of have to tread those waters yourself. But so far, these have all sounded really good to me. Now, our next one is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Boy, there's some of these uh, new edgy names to some of these podcasts. Dan very accurately described his podcast this way, as passionate as political talk radio, but about history instead. I, I think that's probably pretty accurate, so you'll have to check that one out yourself. Our next one are, believe it or not, the History Channel has a couple of podcasts out there. Maybe, maybe this will make Tim feel a little bit better, um, because there's not as many shows out there that are history, but there are some podcasts. The History Channel has a show called, called Digging for the Truth. And Josh Bernstein is the host of the series, and it's on the History Channel. I'm not sure if they're still showing it. Um, but they do have Digging for the Truth on in iTunes, and it's focused on ancient history. So if you enjoy ancient history, you'll probably enjoy this podcast. They have season one from 2005, just four episodes. And season uh, two was from 2006. There were 12 episodes. Those are all audio podcasts. And they actually have the first three seasons um, that you can actually buy on iTunes if you want to watch the video version. But the audio version sounded pretty good. So if you're interested in ancient history, that's one to check out. 
And next we have Great Moments in History. It's a 10-episode free audiobook published as a podcast, and it's by John G. Stockmeyer. Um, its unique feature is that it, it is done in kind of a newscast, man-on-the-street format, which is pretty inter- entertaining. So um, I'll have, again, the websites and addresses for you on that. Our next one is called The History According to Bob. Professor Bob Packett has been teaching history for about 33 years, and he says his passion for history permeates his entire life, from the thousands of primary source materials in his personal library to his collection of historical artifacts. Well, Professor Bob loves to tell stories of the real people behind the often sterile descriptions found in history texts. And his conversational style is filled with anecdotes and quips and humor and will bring a lot of life to the characters of history. He also has a really neat website that goes along with this podcast. And there is a link on that site to another one that he's recently started up that's devoted to World War I history. So if that's of interest to you, you'll definitely want to check this one out. He says the purpose of that website is to share with folks interested in World War I the materials that he's collected for his classes over the years. And there's articles, stories, and information listed on the website that have been taken from out-of-copyright books, magazines, and pamphlets that he owns personally. And you can find the content of these books um, right there on the website. There were a couple of I saw, The History of Aviation, The War Cyclopedia, A School History of the Great War. So he has a lot of good stuff there. And there's the History Capsule podcast. It's old-time radio, World War II, newscasts, historical sound files, and early 1900s music, and kind of just the sounds of history. There are at least 50 episodes, and it looks like uh, Clyde, who does this podcast, is still publishing. But now be aware, in this one, I notice that there's quite a bit of uh, introduction and commercials and things in the beginning. But hang in there with it, because he gets right, he does get into a lot of great content, and I think it's worth waiting for. So if you like that old, you know, old radio and World War II news reels and that kind of thing, I think you'd, you'd enjoy the History Capsule. Now, also from the History Channel, we have the History Center podcast. It uh, looks like the episodes are from 2006, and it appears to be the audio from previous television episodes. And I'll have a link to the area of the, of the History Channel website where you might be able to find some of the past video episodes. And I also saw a lot of UFOs on there, so <laughs> sorry, Tim, but um, there might be something there that you would like. Next, we have History in Our Time. It's put out by BBC Radio 4. Um, The podcast episodes prior to January 1st of 2008 are all available on the website in the History Archives, and it looks like it's a very robust site, so lots of interesting things to kind of um, plow around and find in there. There's also History Zine, the History Podcast, by Jim Mowat. Um, He is a history enthusiast who rummages about in the past, news, reviews, and the War of the Spanish Succession. The website that goes with it has brief show notes and some photos. Um, He's got five episodes at this point and appears to be putting out new ones every couple of weeks. I also noticed that he offers reviews of other history podcasts. So this podcast actually might be a really good one to start with to learn more about um, some of the other ones and, and Jim's opinions on those. And there's Journeys into American History. It presents history through old time radio programs 
And I haven't listened to many of these, but they seem kind of interesting and, and worth further investigation. And we have another one from the History Channel. It's called Just Another Day. But I believe this is the History Channel in England. The, it's a video cast hosted by Adam Hart Davis. And I didn't realize there was a British version of the History Channel. I wonder if they have more history than the American version. <laughs> I certainly hope so. And Adam Hart Davis also hosts How London Was Built, as well as um, a podcast or show called History in the Headlines. This website also has some very cool interactive features, such as the Line of Fire, which provides interactive maps of some of the most defining battles in history. Uh, and the Battle of Normandy was of particular interest to me as my great-uncle fought in that historic battle. So that had a really nice website with it. And then we have Matt's Today in History. Now, there's no real website with this podcast or even show notes that I could really find. The most recent podcast was published December 10th of 2007, and it's about D.B. Cooper that has been making the rounds on some of the genealogy blogs because of the recent anniversary of the, the very famous hijacking that occurred. And I admire Matt's dedication and his body of work, including at least 100 podcasts. So uh, that's a quite a robust site. And finally, we have My History Can Beat Up Your Politics podcast. <laughs> now, that's a catchy title. Uh, this gentleman has a very pleasant voice and, from what I can tell, a pretty politically neutral approach. And with this being an election year, this could be a really helpful tool for learning the behind-the-scenes stories of the political system. And actually, finally, there was one more, but I'm going to leave the sex history podcast up to you to evaluate. And no, I'm not kidding. There really is a podcast about the history of sex. <laughs> but uh, I didn't spend a lot of time on that one. So anyway, we'll leave that up to you. But there are a couple of special categories I do want to talk with you about. There are two great podcasts about British history. Uh, one of them is, of course, the National Archives podcast series. Um, it's put out by the National Archives of Great Britain. And, you know, I got to admit it, this is one that I keep thinking I'm going to listen to, but then I never really feel like it. I think part of the problem is that some of the speakers are kind of dry, and, and oftentimes it's a recording of a lecture series or something that was given. So not really high on the entertainment scale or, you know, something to keep you really riveted, but... If you like and you're looking for British history, I would certainly check it out and see if they may have some topics that are relevant to the work that you're doing. And there's also a podcast called The Tudor Cast. Uh, it's obviously dedicated to Tudor history. And if you have British ancestry, you might really enjoy this one. Laura Eakins is obviously passionate about her subject, and she does a really great job, has some wonderful music. So that's a good one. And our other special section of history podcasts are podcasts that are regionally specific in the United States. And I have a couple I wanted to mention to you. First one is for those of you researching in Texas, there's the Abilene and Taylor County Texas History Podcast by David Gibson. They tell the stories, legends, and tales of Abilene and Taylor County, Texas. And there's actually, keep in mind, two podcast listings, listings for this um, particular podcast. It looks like they separated um, one link goes to their 2007, and the other link goes to 2008. And he has really great expressive storytelling, so you might enjoy that. 
For those of you researching in Delaware, there is This Day in Delaware History. It looks like it's just started up, but it's got historical facts from the first state in the Union, and this podcast is compiled by folks at the Delaware Archives. It's very brief because it's every single day, and they claim they're going to publish their podcast 365 days a year, so that would be good. For those of you working in Indiana, there is the Moments of Indiana History Podcast. It's produced by WFIU Public Media in Bloomington, Indiana. And the podcast offers a brief exploration of Indiana history, historic places, and people. Looks like there are 10 episodes, and they looks like they're still putting out new ones. And that's something I'm always looking for is it's great if there's some episodes there, but it's wonderful if they're still producing. So it looks like this one is. For those folks in Minnesota, there's the Almanac Hands-On History by Twin Cities Public Television. It's a high-quality video cast. Shows appear to be about a half an hour long, and they're designed to be a practical history that you can see, feel, and touch. And they focus on interesting places within an hour's drive of the Twin Cities area. And in each episode, you can learn about resources in these communities and demonstrate the connection between the past and the present. For Missouri, we have the Missouri Irish History and Legend, Ireland to America. This is by our friend Michael O'Loughlin of the Irish Roots podcast. He is absolutely prolific, and I'm sure you'd want to check this one out if you have some Irish ancestors that made their way to Missouri. This one's a particular favorite of mine. It's for those researching in the Ozarks, Shiloh Museum of Ozark History. The museum is located in Springdale, Arkansas, and producer Heather Marie Wells does a really wonderful job with this podcast. I definitely plan on listening to more episodes. Got 22 up there, and it seems like they're coming out every couple of weeks. And again, they have a great companion website as well. For Pennsylvania, we have Explore Pennsylvania History. It's produced by WITF Radio in Pennsylvania, and it covers a wide range of topics. And at last count, they had about 66 episodes. So uh, lots of good stuff there. There's San Francisco Sparkle Tack, the San Francisco History Podcast. Uh, looks like a very professional production and a great companion website with show notes. I haven't listened yet to these episodes, but I'm certainly going to check it out because I've got some ancestors from San Francisco. And if you do too, you might want to check into that one. And finally, we have the Valley Forge History and Culture Podcast. This one is put out by the National Park Service. It strives to honor the ability of citizens and their leaders to pull together and overcome adversity during extraordinary times. Now, I had trouble pulling up the videos for this podcast, but the audio podcast worked just fine. So there you go. And I found a podcast called History Hardcore, which sounded promising, but it appears that it's discontinued after about four episodes. So when I went to the website listed, it was indeed the History Channel at History.com. And there, front and center, was a very historical color photo of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie with the title offering up the Golden Globes as Oscar Predictor. And above it, there was a large flashing ad for Monster Quest and Gangland. Hmm, perhaps the History Channel needs to go back and review its own history for some guidance. Well, coming up next, we're going to try and wrap you up in some cozy family history.
Ashes in the wind, still standing here together. You know, genealogical information can come in a lot of different forms. I remember many years ago when my grandmother, Pauline Moore, her maiden name was Herring, gave me some papers that she had written when she was quite young, probably in her early teens. Now, on a couple of the old sheets, she'd carefully written out the names and the birth dates of all the relatives that she could think of. Well, maybe it was just for a school project, I don't know, but I felt very fortunate to have it, and it gave me a great starting place for researching the Herring family when I first started. Well, over the years, I've received many scraps of paper, boxes of photos, uh, loose negatives, and journals, and it's very nice to be known as the family historian because it sort of makes me the drop-off point when relatives are cleaning out their garages. Well, I'd like to tell you a story about a very special heirloom that came to me. And you'll see why I use the phrase, came to me, in just a moment. And how it led me to a very unique piece of genealogical information. My hope is that this story will inspire you to make a few new inquiries in your family as well. Now, when I thought about where to begin this story, I kept moving further and further back in time because different events moved it along over the years. But let me just start by saying that my paternal grandmother was Pauline Herring, and she was born in Oklahoma in 1918. She married Robert Moore, known to everyone as J.B., in 1936, and my father, Ronald, was their first child. Well, the Moore family was a feisty group of hard-working, tough-as-nails characters led by the patriarch, my great-grandfather, William Jefferson Moore, who was a sheriff in a, in a rough little town there in eastern Oklahoma. The Herrings were God-fearing people, and I venture to say probably more gentle folks. I can see why Pauline and J.B. gravitated towards each other as opposites so often attract. Well, the 1930s were a very insecure time to be living in Oklahoma, and J.B. and his brothers were working their way around the western states doing any job that they could find. And eventually, this landed J.B. and Pauline and my father in California raising cotton in the San Joaquin Valley. And soon, William Jefferson brought the entire Moore clan out to California. My father was raised to be strong and incredibly hardworking, and there wasn't a lot of time for worrying about feelings and emotions and all that. These were practical people, and I know he wouldn't disagree if I also characterized them as mighty stubborn and kind of strongly opinionated. Now keep in mind, I'm a Moor too. So you won't be surprised to learn that there were disagreements here and there over the years, and that certainly happened with my father and I. In fact, after a particularly difficult time when I was a young adult, my father and I had a falling out and basically parted ways. Now, there's no point in going into it all now because it's well behind us, but it was also about this time that my grandmother Pauline had moved to our town, and we had lived two states away from them most of the time I was growing up, so we weren't very close. Well, I started visiting her, and I started asking her about the family. Over the years, I, I took notes she gave me photos, and towards the end of her life, she started giving me some of her most treasured possessions, such as her Cedar Hope chest and my grandfather's favorite rocker. Her most treasured possession was a miniature Cedar Hope chest, and it was filled with dozens and dozens of letters from the 1930s, 
letters that my grandfather wrote her as he traveled the country looking for work. They were simple and heartfelt, and while she let me make some copies, she couldn't bear to part with those letters themselves. She was also sad that my dad and I hadn't patched things up, and she was very concerned that I receive some of her things um, that she gave me in case he didn't wish me to have them after her death, particularly for my three daughters. I wish things could have been better with my dad, but it remained very strained. The older she got, the more she wished for our reconciliation that, that really never came. Well, one day in 2001, after my husband and I and the girls had moved back to California, I received an email from my dad, a very unusual occurrence, and he told me that my grandmother had passed away, and I was stunned. He said the funeral would be a couple of days later, and that was it. It was to be held in Arizona where my dad had a winter home, which my grandmother was staying in at the time, and likely few, if any, relatives were going to be able to attend. Well, my husband, being the amazing guy that he is, volunteered to pack us all up into the car and drive me to Arizona to attend the funeral. We didn't tell anybody, I guess because I didn't want to be discouraged from coming, and as we walked across the grass to the gravesite, I began to wonder if I would even recognize my dad, or if he would welcome us. Well, a tall man turned around and gasped, Oh my God, it's my daughter. And we all started to cry, and we hugged, and he quickly met each of his granddaughters for the first time by my grandmother's grave. It was in her death that the walls came down and we were reunited. But I felt sure that she was right there with us and happy as a clam. Well, after the services, we returned to Grandmother's house and we made polite small talk. I mean, what do you talk to somebody about that you haven't spoken to in over a decade? And the last time you spoke to them was not a happy time. Then I remembered the manila envelope filled with family history that I had compiled up to that time that I'd brought with me. I brought it out and I cautiously asked if he would like to see it. Suddenly, we were talking animatedly, and he was hearing things about the family that he didn't know, and it was very exciting. I learned a very important lesson that day. When you have nothing in common with a relative to talk about, you always have relatives in common to talk about. More than once, family history has opened doors to people's hearts that were otherwise pretty closed up. Well, finally, I got the courage to ask about the miniature hope chest full of letters. My grandmother's home had many lovely things in it that she'd collected over the years, but my only hope was that maybe my dad would allow me to take the letters and at least transcribe them and preserve them for the entire family. Well, his new wife jumped up and went to the back bedroom and came out a few moments later carrying the box. I just wanted to burst out crying. I was so afraid that they had been lost during grandmother's move to Arizona or that they might have already been disposed of as her old papers not realizing their importance. Well, my dad took the box and asked, is this what you're looking for? And I said, yes. And he put them in my hands. And he said, well, by all means, take them. You obviously should be the one since you're documenting the family. I can't tell you how happy I was. It was more than I had hoped for. Then he looked at me perfectly straight-faced and he said, well, you better go through the rest of the house and see if there's anything else you want. 
Now, my dad is a very practical man and um, had no need for sentimental belongings. <laughs> he was planning on holding a garage sale and was perfectly happy to have me take what I wanted first. Well, he and my husband got a rental trailer hooked up to the back of our car and loaded it up with my grandmother's china and her mirrors and her ceramic lamps and the photo albums. And, oh, it was amazing. It was quite a job, and I was flooded with memories as we were carefully wrapping her belongings. Well, toward the end of the evening, I wandered into my grandmother's bedroom for one last look around. It felt so strange to be taking her things, but she'd always told me that how she wanted various items to go to the different granddaughters. My father happened into the room as I stood there, and for the first time all day, we found ourselves alone together. And it was a little awkward. So many years had gone by, and here a wonderful reconciliation had spontaneously occurred as grandmother would have wanted. I swear I could feel her in that room with us in that quiet moment. My dad finally looked around and he says, Now are you sure you got everything? But you know, I actually wasn't sure. I had the distinct feeling that there was something in that room that grandmother wanted me to have, but I couldn't imagine what it was. I mean, maybe it was just women's intuition, but maybe she was really pressing something on my heart. But either way, I felt it. Well, I told him, in all honesty, that I just had this feeling that there was something, but I didn't know what. And he looked around quickly, but it was pretty much cleaned out. And then he stepped over and swung open the closet doors. Well, have you been through here? He asked me. Yeah, I thought I had. All that were left were a few dresses from 1970s and a couple of old suitcases. I shrugged. My dad reached in and grabbed one of the suitcases. And he looked surprised when he felt weight, when he had expected a very light, empty suitcase. I don't really need any more suitcases, I said. Well, he said that it felt like there was something in there, and he threw it over onto the bed. I unlocked it, and I raised the lid, and there was a beautiful old quilt, obviously from the 30s or the 40s, in pristine condition, very neatly folded. We couldn't believe our eyes. <laughs> he said he had never seen it before, and neither had I. Carefully pinned to the top was a little note in my grandmother's hand which read, This quilt is for Ronald L. Moore. It is the last quilt his grandmother Herring made before her stroke and death. She loved him so much. I love you so very much, Ron. I'm so proud of you as a son. All my love, Mother. Well, we just looked at each other, you know, with tears in our eyes. And my dad unpinned the note. And then he said to me, I think you better take the quilt. And I'll take the note. And then and there, I knew that my grandmother had finished her job. A job started really by her mother, Lenora Herring, who had made the quilt. From great-grandmother Herring, all the way to my young daughters, the quilt had spanned five generations of us stubborn moors and brought us all back together again. Branches in the wind Still standing here together one more storm to weather we'll get through it yet. So we're gathered here, holding 
Holding on to each other To let go of another one We won't forget Now as we say goodbye To one of our own We may be lonely But we're not alone Though the Comfort us to know The family tree will always grow Father down to son Ever since that time, great-grandmother Heron's quilt has been proudly displayed on the wall in my family room. And my father and I have enjoyed a renewed relationship with all the past hurts forgotten. He's getting to know my family, and I have come to respect and love his wife, Claudia, who is such a dear lady. Now you're probably asking, but Lisa, what about the genealogical information? Well, I'm getting to that. You see, the discovery of this long-lost quilt reignited my passion for researching the Herring family. And it was soon thereafter that I made contact with my cousin, Carolyn Ender, who lives in Texas. Well, Carolyn's mother, Goldina Herring, is my grandmother Pauline's younger sister. So my great-grandmother, Lenora Herring, who made the quilt, was Carolyn's grandmother. And Carolyn had the good fortune to know her well since they lived near each other when she was growing up. You'll probably remember meeting Carolyn in episode 28 of the podcast where she told us about the techniques for calling distant relatives that we don't know to gather family history information. Well, when we met online, I shared the story of the quilt with her and she suddenly remembered that she too had a herring family quilt. She wasn't sure where it was or even what it looked like. She had just stored it away years ago and not thought a lot about it. 
Well, soon she was hunting through closets and dresser drawers and then emailing me back full of excitement. She had found the quilt and it was literally full of genealogical information. Each of the 40 blocks of the quilt bore the handwriting and then embroidered name of a herring relative and their birth date. The center square was the quilter herself, Marie Herring, born in 1921. Marie was Pauline and Goldina's sister. And on that same center square, Marie had also embroidered the year the quilt was made, which was 1939, and the place, Roth, Oklahoma. Well, Carolyn carefully photographed each square of the quilt and emailed me all the photos, and we entered the relatives that we knew into our databases, and we went back and forth via email regarding those that we didn't recognize, four of which we're still researching. And to this day, Carolyn and I have never met in person, and yet she is another relative that great-grandmother's quilt has bonded me to for a lifetime, and for that I am very thankful. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that these quilts existed or that I would even own one or that one of them would open genealogical doors for us. But the herring women of Oklahoma had other things on their mind, I guess. And in their own way, they passed on the family heritage. The quilts have always cared for the family, first warming them and then bringing them together and, and now leading us to other ancestors that we didn't know. Women may not have had a lot of time to use the power of the pen to document history, but they did have some mighty powerful sewing needles. I hope that our story will be an encouragement to you. There may be quilts or some other family article just waiting to be discovered in your family. Now I want you to go to the episode 39 show notes to view photographs of the quilt the great-grandmother Herring created and that is still uniting our family. Go to genealogygems.tv and click the podcast button. At the show notes, you will also find a very special video that Carolyn and I have created for you about her heritage quilt. And you will see the genealogical information it contains and the faces behind the names. I hope that you will enjoy the video and share it uh, along with this podcast episode with your friends, whether they're genealogists or not. Family is family, and there's always hope, especially in a family. I'm also going to try to publish the video in iTunes. Now, keep your fingers crossed on this because it can be a little trickier than publishing an audio podcast, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And I hope in a future episode to be talking with an expert quilter who will pass on some ideas for all of us on how to properly care for our heritage quilts. She's been published in books and magazines, had her own museum showings, and her work hangs in public locations such as the Children's Hospital in Seattle. Best of all, she's my mother. So we can look forward to that. In the meantime, remember, there's always hope and genealogical information to be found in the most unlikely places. Oh yeah, and one more lesson. Never throw out an old suitcase unless you look inside first. Well, that's it for this episode of the Genealogy Gems podcast. I've had that story in my back pocket for a long time, and, and I've been looking forward to telling it to you and 
feel like we've kind of come to know each other, and we're actually coming up on a, almost a year's anniversary of the Genealogy Gems podcast. So it seemed like a good time to share it with you. So as always, if you want to contact me, you can send me an email at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's the website, lots of goodies and new things there. And I do encourage you to um, share the episodes, website, whatever with folks if you find that there's a topic that maybe they're not a genealogist, but they would enjoy uh, a good story about quilts or something else. Feel free to pass that along. So have a wonderful week, friend. Happy ancestor hunting. And I will talk to you soon. Bye.